The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. As we continue to worship together, um, I want us to look at a scripture this morning, and I'm going to read for us. But I know that you all have had a lot of news, um, and I have too. Uh, since Monday morning, I've been inundated with news, even sitting across from uh, Chad Scruggs himself on Monday morning. And um, since that time, have not only read tweets or heard reports or stories, uh, I'm sure you have. I was telling somebody the other day, I, there have been very few words that I've used this week that have not been about the events that happened at Covenant School and Church. And um, it's been something that's been really inundated on all of our minds. I don't know how much you've discussed it with family, co-workers, thought about it yourself. Um, it, it's hard not to. Um, it's so close to us. And, and I know many of us have asked that question. We're going to ask a number of those questions that I want to talk about this morning I was able to do a, a service called a particularization service uh, recently for a church called Koinonia. Maybe you all know Koinonia. A friend of mine uh, and a, a pastor is part of our church, uh, Micah, Dr. Micah Edmondson, is a pastor there. And One of the things that a particularization service is is where a church becomes a church. You kind of preach, and you, uh, he asked me, I was so honored and humbled to, to give the homily at that, and uh, to charge the congregation uh, with what it means to be a church, and Micah stood up afterwards, if you've ever heard him preach, and he said what he always says before he begins his, uh, his sermon. He says, Koinonia, are you ready for the gospel? And uh, he can do it in a way that I'm not even going to try, but I... I think that we need to ask that question. Um, are we ready for the gospel? And the reason I ask us that is because the word gospel means good news. And maybe some of you know that from your background or maybe being in a church. But when he asks that question, when he's not just making it up. He's taking it from directly the scripture. When the scripture says, here is the gospel, here's the good news. It's not saying here's the good news as a silver lining to the bad or here's the good news for all the bad that you've heard. It's actually saying, are you ready for the good news that swallows up, that actually overtakes, that comes and tells you not that everything is gonna be okay, but everything that, that is sad will come untrue. Are you ready for the gospel? Good news. Are you ready, Music Row? Yes. You know, um, I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about this morning, and do I change the scripture? And I thought there is no scripture more fitting than the triumphal entry, than what this day actually means, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And here's why, because we need to ask the question this morning, how is he triumphant? If we want to know what the good news is, what, what is the good news? How is Jesus triumphant? How is him saddling up on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem with a bunch of people waving hyssop branches 
And singing and screaming Hosanna, which means save now. We sang that song that is what was being sung. Hosanna, save now. What, what, how is he triumphant? And I'm going to read a passage for us, two passages actually, a verse and then a passage from John, that talk about how he is triumphant in his humility, in his suffering, and in his victory. His humility, his suffering, and his victory. First, I want to read a verse from Zechariah 9, just Zechariah 9, 9. It's an Old Testament verse from a minor prophet. And then I'll read from John 12. Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19 says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign so that Pharisees said to one another, you see that they are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You know, the first verse I read there is from Zechariah. It's from, uh, we just finished a series in Micah which is a minor prophet, it's a prophet. And they were actually situated somewhat next to each other in the Old Testament, Micah and Zechariah. And what Zechariah is getting at, similar to Micah, is that there's been all these issues with Israel, and now they've suffered in exile. They've been in deep, profound oppression and difficulty. And Zechariah is trying to speak the hope that is theirs to Israel and to say there is a king who's coming a king and why is he different than any other king why is he different from the kings that are of our enemies or the kings that we've had before in Zechariah 9 it's set in contrast to the Persian and Gazan kings and it says this it says in in, in Zechariah 9 and other places his rule extends this one who's coming his rule extends from sea to sea and he is the agent through which salvation comes the agent but if you look at this passage and you look at this verse particularly quoted you would think of all verses to be quoted by John in the New Testament to be fulfilled something to be held out it would be that one. But what is fulfilled? It's of Jesus sitting on a donkey. It's of Jesus riding the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. And he does so to show that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. That was prayed this morning in that prayer that Jordan prayed for us. 
that Jesus' kingdom is not like what we expect or even think or even understand. He comes in ways and handles things different than sometimes we wish he would. He comes in such humility. The praise that was going on here when they were saying Hosanna was such an interesting one because just in a few days' time, their praise would change. And some commentators talk about the fact that do they know what they're praising? Do they know what they're saying? Do they know who they're praising to? Or was this just a frenzy because the crowd had heard what he had done, they knew his sign, and yet they wanted to see the person who had done it. And so, somewhat like when we have large festivals in our city, we may not know exactly what's going on, and we get frustrated by the traffic, or we see what's going on, but we, we get somewhat wrapped up in it. And they, they see Jesus, and, and yet he comes in a different way. And it would spark memory for them, because there have been others who'd ridden into Jerusalem similarly. There have been others in history who'd ridden in, even written about historically, Judas Maccabeus, who rode in to free, as one of the zealots, to free Israel with a sword on a horse in order to free Israel from the oppressors, and yet he would be squelched. But why this verse is quoted is because Jesus isn't coming to make his mark in history. He's coming to fulfill it. He's coming to swallow it up. He's coming to say, I'm... I'm not just coming to, to show you that I'm another person that's going to give you some sort of helpful encouragement in your life. I'm here to actually make sense of everything that's going on around you, even when you may not understand it. And yet he rides in for the defenseless, the powerless. I don't know about you, I have felt more powerless and asked the question like so many of you probably asked, how can I help this week? How can I help? That is the question we should ask, but we also need to feel the the weight of we can't help in certain ways. We can't reach the corners of everyone's hearts and give the peace that we would love to fix. We have to feel that defenselessness, that powerlessness, that We don't have the strength or the words or the things to say. And that's exactly where we need to be. You know, this is completely different from what his disciples thought. I can't imagine what they thought when he rode in on a donkey. I'm sure they thought, man, we have the right guy we're following. But over and over when they asked him, I said, can we sit at your right and left hand? Are you going to be this one who's going to be the one who, who brings in this kingdom from Zechariah from sea to sea? But he rides in humble. He says, my, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet it's going to change this world. We need to ask that question of how can we help, but here's here's how we can. We need to step into the spaces with people, no matter what the distance is we are from those who've actually specifically been affected, and love those where they are. Sometimes even saying, I don't even have the words. I've talked to so many of you that have stories of people who have actually been there, were in the building, saw the people, saw the shooters, saw the happenings, 
And the questions we all have are, how do we lean in? How do we love? How do we help? And it is by being together. It's, by fi- it's not by taking over the space, but by creating it. By knowing that we don't have to be Jesus there, but we let him come in there. And we help by asking the question, where are you today? Circling back. Being close to them. <clears throat> Another question I've heard is what is the, what, you know, how I'm not as close. I remember the proximity question. We had a meeting with, as we do with those who are part of our young professionals launch program. And, and one of the things that we wanted to do in that time together was just say, how is everyone? And it's not a question of that everybody needs to be in the same spot. Some of us have been, we just talked about it this morning, working and not even allowing ourselves or, or even having the time to grieve or to feel what this week has been like. Others don't have any association or knowledge of anyone or anything close to it. And yet, it's okay to be in that space. But what we need to do is to continue to move together To know that our king comes to bring in the defenseless, to bring in the powerless, to bring in those who are humble. This is his kingdom. It's not about us rising up and having the perfect words. It's about knowing that Jesus rides in to gather us. You know what else it says in Zechariah later on? Literally, a couple verses past the one where he sits on a donkey and rides, and it says this. Listen to this. So beautifully written. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double portion. Prisoners of hope. What does it mean for us to be prisoners of hope? And when the Bible uses hope, it's not a hope of wishing. It's not a hope of, I hope things get better. The hope that they knew, that they had to know, was a hope that was so anchored in a reality in history and space and time that as much as March 27th of this last week was a day that we will never forget in terms of a timeline and a calendar, is the same as Jesus riding in Because he rides in in space and time to show us that our hope is not in something that's ethereal. It's not in something that we just wish, but it's anchored in something real. And we are prisoners of hope, not prisoners of fear, not prisoners of evil, but of hope. And he rides in to set the captives free. You are not a prisoner of suffering, but a prisoner of hope. And he is the king that we need so desperately. He rides in to encourage us deeply and profoundly. Because that's what shapes our praise. If you notice this passage when they're singing Hosanna... They don't actually really know, as I said before, do they really know what they're singing to? Do they really know who they're praising? 
And here's the powerful thing as we sing and as we worship together that our praise doesn't shape Jesus. Jesus shapes our praise. The one who is the king is what shapes us to praise even when our lips cannot even move. Even when we can only stand and cry and hear others around us sing, he receives it. Because his character is not changed by how we praise him. Who he is and his character changes our hearts in praise. And he rides not only in humility, but he rides toward suffering. (laughs) You know, one of the questions that I've heard so often this week is, how do I talk to people, particularly coworkers, people who may in particular, and you may be here this morning asking the same question, which is totally fine. But particularly for people who may not know God or follow Jesus and are asking, how could this happen? Why? Why is this happening? You know, when Jesus rode in on that Sunday, the people had no idea what was going to occur on Friday. And they didn't know at the time, as Jesus did know, that their lips would change. Many of those who may have been praising him may have been the same people who yelled crucify. We don't know. But they did not know that. And it is one of the number one and most difficult questions because we want to ask why. Getting up Monday morning of last week, taking my kids to school, walking into a routine meeting that we do once a quarter, I had no idea that that day would be the day that it would. Evelyn, Hallie, William, Cynthia, Catherine, and Mike, they didn't know that either. None of them knew when they went to work, when they went to their desks, that it would be what it was and yet what's so difficult is that Jesus writing in he knows he knows and like you even hearing a siren out these doors is difficult for me and yet God knows he knows what he's doing because his ride on that donkey isn't just to get praise it's actually well well beyond that. Because Jesus sees to Friday. Even though they don't. He sees what's coming. And that's why John says this in verse 16 and following. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. Who is Lazarus? Literally the chapter before this. Lazarus was a dear friend and had two sisters named Martha and Mary. 
And as Lazarus was sick and died, Jesus would come and would meet both of these sisters that he knew, and they would both have different responses. Martha would be asking number of questions. Jesus, why weren't you here? Where were you? And it even says in the passage that Jesus loved them so much that he waited. And so when he greets Martha and he begins to encourage her, what he says to her is this line that maybe you've heard before from the Bible or maybe you've heard someone say that, I, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then he meets Mary, and he sees where she is, and we receive in John's gospel the shortest verse that, again, many of us may have heard, Jesus wept. And what Jesus is doing for both Martha and Mary is not fixing them. He is meeting them and caring for them where they need to be cared for. He's meeting their suffering and their heartache at the crux of it. He's helping them make sense of where it is in their hearts. And this is the uniqueness of Christianity. This is the uniqueness of who Jesus is and why I believe more and more in God because of suffering, both in my individual life and in collective life, is because there is no other religion, no other philosophy or ideal, and I will say this on record over and over, where God actually doesn't just talk about suffering, but steps into it. He clothes himself in it. So much so that other prophecies in the Old Testament say that he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That is not the Savior that many of us think that would ride in to Jerusalem to to save now. And yet this is how God addresses that. Because he rides to suffer, not just to get away from it. He rides towards it, into it, into the heart of it. And I'll tell you, as I I, I had an overwhelming privilege and moment to be able to meet some of the officers who were actually not only at the school, but in the incident that brought it to its conclusion. And to hear them talk about having to do that and the next morning wake up and go to work again and carry that with them and then to go and I saw them at the funeral yesterday and then to go back and this is their language not mine to go back up that hill flooded them in a way that they were not ready who rides in to take care of that It is Jesus. Our good news is swallowing up the evil, the hatred, the horrible things. This is it. let's, let's, Let's put new language on it. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's riding to the horror. He is riding towards the evil. 
not away from it. There's no other God that talks about it that way. And we have all the questions, all the things of why. And we may not know any of those until he returns. And as I heard my friend preach to his daughter's funeral yesterday, that his daughter, Hallie, now knows more about Jesus and is feasting at a table, no longer tasting because God is good and loves his children. He loves his people. And he loves in a way of not just saying it, but by taking up and riding into the heart of the horror in every single way that we have seen and read and watched and felt. And that's why we need to continue to be together in this. I want to say something. We are going to be tempted, and it's already happened, for this to become more an agenda, for this to become more of Let's talk about this topic and that. It will come up. That's important. But let us not move past the compassion and care for one another that we need that the good news first addresses. Let's take up where our king rides first. Then we can go to those other places. But let's not miss one another and the need. And you want to know how you can help? It's by... It's by meeting people, it's by watching, it's by asking the questions, it's by saying, I don't even know what to say. One of you this morning just told me a story of talking to one of the people who's having to, to pick up the pieces and hold the authority now at the school who didn't have it before. And we may not be, we may be second, third hand away, but our job is to come with the good news in the midst of us knowing that we're not alone. And this is why Jesus did this. This is why he became alone. This is why he rode into horror alone. So that we can grieve together, and listen, grieve together well as prisoners of hope. You know, one of the things that Chad mentioned yesterday was this table And it's a table that shows that Jesus not only rode in humility towards suffering, but to bring victory. And to the degree that it is really hard to feel that now, as they waved palm branches as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and they were saying, save now. Think about that one. You can almost hear it picked up more further in the New Testament when the prayer becomes for those who are suffering, cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. You may have seen me write that in our emails. That is where we're longing. That's what this table reminds us. Notice in that passage that what made sense of Jesus coming into the city it said this, it says, 
His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. How they made sense of all of these things was through the resurrection. They didn't make sense of any, they wouldn't have. We would not. The reason we are prisoners of hope is that we are bound and shackled and united to the one who did not stay in the grave. And I know I am well ahead of Easter today, but we need to hear the victory. You know why in Revelation, at the end of the book, and it's not just to encourage you, Revelation is simply theology and pictures. We can walk through it together one day. But the very last two chapters of the Bible end with the glorious city of God. And you know what? It has no gates. And it has no temple. And it has no gates because there is no need for police responses. And there is no need to hear sirens anymore. And there is no need for any medical care for trauma both emotionally or physically. Because the city that God is ushering in, because Jesus, when he raised from the dead, showed us that he was addressing not only emotional, spiritual, but physical harm so that one day we will be in victory with our Savior. And we taste it here. And we can say, save now. And we can sing that together and yet live now and grieve together but not without being prisoners of hope because that is our future and there is no temple in that city because guess what? We will not have to worry about being separate or ask the questions, where are you God? We will be with him all the time and we will never feel that question of why or where or how because we will be healed and it says every tear will be wiped from our eyes and death will be no more. That is our future. That is our victory. That is our king. Let's stand together.